With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, all right. Welcome back. Welcome back. We're in the second hour of this live broadcast. Thank you guys for rejoining us. And a big thank you to our guest in the previous hour, David Miller. David has uh, done some incredible work throughout his career. He is absolutely more than anybody on the front lines of the information war. And uh, it's doing great work there as well at Press TV. Also follow him at Tracking Power on X Twitter. We've got a tag on his Twitter feed as well. If you go to Ad 21 Wire, our show post before, we got David's uh, Twitter feed in there. Just click on that. Follow him on social media. Follow his work. You'll be you'll be better for it. You'll be better informed. Uh, you'll have more information, more knowledge about what's going on in the world. Appreciate David. I want to bring on uh, to the program right now um, our trusted correspondent, analyst, and uh, all other things, Basil Valentine. I want to get Basil's reaction to what David laid out in that incredible uh, interview, which we just conducted there. Basil, how are you doing? Very well, thank you, Patrick. Good to be with you. And uh, hello once again to our listeners all around the world. I thought David was uh, very dispassionate in his analysis of the situation. Um, he pointed out very accurately, of course, that these accusations, the false accusations of rape, are still being recycled. Most notably, only earlier today by Alan Dershowitz, who, when he was asked about his name appearing in the Epstein documents more than any other single individual, he started talking about Hamas rapes. He started saying, where are all these woke lefty feminists condemning Hamas for all these rapes? Uh, and that's when he was asked about his name appearing on the Epstein blogs. But um, it's typical, really. Uh, he also, in an interview with Kim Iverson, by the way, admits that he works for the state of Israel. And of course, he may well be employed in an official capacity as soon as next week uh, <coughs> to defend Israel at the International Court of Justice, uh, which commentators are saying, should he do so, or anyone else for that matter, no doubt there'll be a team of lawyers, uh, that would then make it more difficult for Israel to brush aside any negative findings. In the past, they've simply not turned up, had nothing to do with the court, said that it's uh, just an anti-Semitic front or whatever. Um, but they've said that they're going to defend the South African petition next week. Could be as early as the 11th and 12th of January, I believe. And if they do so, then that makes it harder if the court finds against them to sort of wriggle out of it, though no doubt they'll try. Meanwhile, here in the UK, um, the Israeli ambassador Tsipi Hotoveli was on LBC yesterday and she made uh, some of the most outrageous comments I think we've ever heard broadcast in the UK where she said every school, every mosque, every second house has access to tunnels and ammunition. 
I'm not sure what evidence she has for this claim. Uh, and when asked uh, by the presenter whether this was a call for destroying the whole of Gaza, she simply stated, do you have another solution? Now, this has prompted Afzal Khan, the MP for Manchester Gordon, to write to the Foreign Secretary, Lord Cameron, uh, and requesting that uh, her language be denounced in the strongest possible terms. Others are calling for her to be expelled. But, uh, of course, as we know, Rishi Sunak wants Israel to win. So, you know, we're a long way away. We're a long way away from censoring the uh, the Israeli ambassador, I'm afraid. Yeah, pretty shocking uh, comments there. But, uh, you know, the, all these statements of genocidal intent, uh, they're all coming uh, from all different directions on this. And, you know, all this stuff is uh, being recorded. It's all going to get filed. And it might form the uh, the case against Israel and against anybody providing uh, material support or political backing for what's clearly uh, a war crime, a crime against humanity, it will be ruled out. Anyway, legal experts I've been speaking to, Basil, over the last couple of days have said that uh, they really think South Africa uh, and the international community that's going to be joining in, a few other countries have already joined in with South Africa, that they believe they have a very strong case uh, that Israel will be found guilty of genocide uh, in the uh, international courts of justice in the world court. So that means everybody making all of these genocidal statements, uh, it it's going to be uh, submitted as evidence in these types of uh, legal hearings, which are going to go on for quite a long time by the looks of it, Basil. We could be adjudicating this well into the decade, the end of the decade. So um, that's just a reality looking back at history. So that's, uh, yeah. Be aware when you want to make these uh, brash statements. So I think I think they're going to start seeing people uh, more muted on the subject uh, once the legal proceedings start hitting the headlines, Basil. Well, but, they're um, not muted yet. John Kirby, the White House National Security Council spokesman, called South Africa's 84-page uh, suit accusing Israel of genocide, and I quote, meritless, counterproductive, and completely without any basis in fact whatsoever. I mean, a really extraordinary statement. I mean, you know, off the charts, stupid from Kirby. And I sincerely hope those words come back to haunt him. I'm seeing reports that the new Israeli foreign minister, Israel Katz, has said that uh, it, Gaza must not get a single drop of water until everybody leaves. Everybody leaves. Um, Katz was appointed foreign minister just three or four days ago. Um, this wasn't widely reported. Very senior position, obviously, foreign minister, Israel's chief diplomat. And uh, the way the uh, coalition works, he swapped jobs with Eli Cohen. Don't expect any huge policy changes, but I'm seeing, as I say, unconfirmed reports that he's been quoted as saying, that uh, we are at the height of World War Three, according to Katz. They, you know, get that. You know what I mean? This is the uh, at the height of against Iran and radical Islam. Apparently, there you go. Complete maniacs. These people. Um 
not only tone deaf considering what's uh what's happening right now how things are, are moving uh, very rapidly uh on the international legal front but uh, so, you know making genocidal statements um as your country uh is being placed in the dock of the international courts of justice uh yeah i think it just speaks to uh the 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 propaganda bubble the echo chamber that is israeli society uh, and some of these politicians are just, That's I mean, right. this, it's one of the most propagandized countries in the world. And this is what Israelis are saying publicly. You know, this is not just That's us right. I, as outsiders. Go ahead, Basil. Um, Gideon Levy, the uh, left-wing Haaretz journalist who has his finger on the pulse of Israeli society, says that it's absolutely consumed by a genocidal bloodlust at the moment permeating all aspects of society. Some commentators have tried to claim that these outlandish statements are only from fringe elements or something, but the vast majority of the Israeli public wants to see the total obliteration of Gaza, and they're getting their wish. Now, another story which um, uh, has just broken in the last few hours, uh, as we know, the Israelis have been pushing for ethnic cleansing of Gaza. Uh, and obviously, by their actions making it uninhabitable, they're a long way down that road already. Uh, we reported yesterday that they'd apparently been in talks with the Congo and with other countries. This comes after apparently um, Blinken went to the Egyptians and the Jordanians several weeks ago uh requesting that they allow palestinians to be expelled into their territory until now the uh, official state department line as pronounced by matthew miller yesterday was that uh, they would not support ethnic cleansing but that maybe that's because they've hit this following stumbling block uh, if i can quote um the media has buried one of the most shameful stories regarding the Biden administration collaboration with Israel in a scheme for ethnic cleansing Gaza. Harvard professor Sarah Roy writes in the New York Review of Books, in November, a U.S. aid official approached a colleague of mine and asked about the feasibility of building a tent city in the Sinai, which would be followed by a more permanent arrangement somewhere in the northern part of the peninsula. Rashid Khalidi has also said in a foreign policy video interview, at the outset of this war, the president sent Secretary Blinken to convey to the Egyptians and the Jordanians a request that they allow Palestinians to be expelled into their territory. That is disgraceful. That is direct American participation in the ethnic cleansing of part of Palestine. What is historic Palestine? They immediately pulled back on that when the Egyptians and the Jordanians slapped them in the face and said, under no circumstances, and explained why under no circumstances would they allow that to happen. The article goes on, I think that's one of the most disgraceful chapters in American diplomacy, that the United States would, for the first time in its history, be willing to participate in forcing Palestine Palestinians out of Palestine. And further proof of this is in the supplementary spending bill, uh, of course, more money and weapons for Israel and Ukraine, which includes, if you read the small print, people don't generally bother to read these bills, but it includes funding for the voluntary relocation of Gazans outside of Gaza. 
The White House sent a request for supplemental funding, which includes logistical infrastructure and other material support to make possible housing displaced Palestinians from Gaza to neighboring countries. There you go. Did, did you happen to see the the one of uh, uh, the, the details of their you know plan to ship them to the Congo? Israeli officials talking to Congolese government officials as if you know from one genocide setting to another. I mean, absolutely incredible. Why on earth would a Palestinian want to be sent to Central Africa to the jungles of the Congo? Honestly, I don't know. It's uh, it's quite amazing you know, when you think about it. I mean, it's off the charts stuff, and it's not going to happen. I mean, every civilized country is totally rejecting the idea uh, of ethnic cleansing. I mean, the I saw a, a post from the Dutch foreign ministry, the Spanish foreign ministry. They're all saying this is this isn't going to happen, um, but uh, that doesn't mean it won't happen. You know. Smotrich said if there are 100,000 or 200,000 Arabs in Gaza and not two millions, the entire discussion on the day after the war ends will be totally different. The other plan that's being uh, discussed, certainly in Tel Aviv, is to break Gaza up into uh, a series of sort of tiny pockets, each run by a family handpicked by the Israelis. I'm not sure... How that's going to work doesn't sound very democratic either. But um, that's the latest. Really, I mean, I think the Israelis have dug themselves a far, far bigger hole than they realized. They've jumped in it and they're determined to carry on digging and they're dragging the United States down with them. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Meanwhile, uh, there are, uh, we have some reports, uh, we're getting, waiting for details about the hospital. Looks like it's been surrounded, uh, in Gaza. Uh, one of the last big hospitals. Now, I haven't remaining. seen anything about that, but I, what I have just seen, Patrick, get this mm -hmm. the Guardian are reporting that Islamic state ISIS effectively has claimed responsibility for the deadly attack in Iran. Okay. What does that uh, tell us? Okay. What uh, source? What source? What source is saying that? Because I've also heard that they're denying responsibility from another source. Right. But uh, who, who's reporting that they've taken in responsibility? Uh, in a statement posted on its affiliate Telegram channels today, Islamic mm -hmm. State said two of its members had detonated their explosive belts in the crowd. Earlier today, Iran said it was bolstering security along its borders with Afghanistan and Pakistan in the first tangible sign that it too suspects the attack was the work of an Islamic State affiliate. But of course, who 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 is Islamic State? Attention is focused on Islamic State Khorasan province, a Sunni oh. group operating primarily in Afghanistan that resents the damage done to Islamic State's cause by Soleimani in Iraq and Syria. So there you go. Okay, the Khorasan group, uh, a lot of people believe this is a Western intelligence construct. It's meant to be like an all-star team of ISIS and Al-Qaeda, uh, and they sort of, CNN launched them, did sort of a PR launch for them uh, a few years ago, and then they went quiet, and then they sort of magically appeared uh, in Afghanistan. Like, what on earth would ISIS be doing in Afghanistan fighting the Taliban? <laughs> 
So um, uh, you couldn't make it up, Basil. Yeah, that's a good question, Basil. Who are these ISIS affiliates and how much credence uh, should we put in such statements? Uh, because we're also hearing uh, the opposite as well uh, from other media channels. So let's keep an eye on that one and see how that basically washes out because I think that's important as well uh, because we need to sort of be able to track and understand uh, what to look for and what to basically write off as potential potential uh, intelligence uh, propaganda and misdirection, uh, which of course, this is a high stakes game of geopolitics, Basil. So uh, we'd be naive to think that there isn't a massive disinformation and deception efforts going on behind the scenes involving major world powers. How about that for a conspiracy theory, Mr. Valentine? Well, it's a very, very murky web at the moment, isn't it, Patrick? It's a very unattractive situation put it that way the bloodiest and most desperate in that part of the world that i can remember so yeah i mean uh cameron has come out today and said uh david cameron that is the british foreign secretary he's been warning the yemenis against further attacks on shipping uh something that people have been pointing out on x there was a big just there was a big uh joint statement wasn't there uh talking about the importance of the sanctity even of these shipping containers which prompted a lot of commentators on x to say it seems that the west cares more about shipping containers than the lives of palestinians and that would certainly appear to be the case uh meanwhile we've got endless raids in the west bank 20 raids last night doubtless there'll be more tonight uh four hezbollah fighters killed overnight in southern lebanon uh and on and on it goes meanwhile uh, gaza itself is starving and uh, cameron has also said that uh, the israelis must allow more humanitarian aid into gaza but in retaliation the israelis have accused the united nations of stalling the delivery of humanitarian aid to the gaza strip well this is going to be the big issue going forward as we sort of why everyone's tossing and uh toggling for you know what's going on in the international legal front and at the un level the the bottom line is the aid's not getting in and you have a potential famine, you have cholera, you have dysentery, you have a, a sewage system, uh, water treatment plants have been targeted by the Israelis. Um, it's a potential humanitarian disaster. You think it's bad now? Look at the numbers now at 30,000 dead Palestinian civilians, innocent and unarmed. Uh, so now we have those numbers could easily double, Basil, uh, in the coming month even without yeah. more bombs dropping. That's the real story. Oh, I mean, story. it's still estimated there are 10,000 people rotting under the rubble. Some of them have mm. been there for months. I mean, it just yeah. beggars belief. They don't have you the know, manpower. They before, don't have the equipment. They don't have the resources. They don't have the manpower to be able to dig everybody out. That's the reality. You need international teams in there. There's so much resource that's required just to find uh, all the bodies. There's families with, there's thousands of people that are reporting missing still. So, I mean, I know. we know where they are. 
uh, we just can't find get to them. So it's unbelievable, an unbelievable situation, Basil. Look, we're going to have to break, um, but uh, we really appreciate you bringing us these updates as well. Uh, Mr. Basil Valentine, always appreciated here on the Patrick Henningsen Show. Thank you, Patrick. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, our political commentator, Basil Valentine, weighing in on breaking news from Gaza and the Middle East. Excellent reporting by Mr. Valentine. We're going to take a break right now with the network. And when we come back, we want to catch up to our research assistant for the show, Christian James, who's got a number of hot stories. Plus, we'll be talking about a few trends going into 2024. All this and more on the other side. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Stay there. We'll be right back. You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about. I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well, that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system? It's kind of hard to know where to start, right? Where would you suggest we even begin with this process? Yeah, it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently and it made me laugh that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the Burger King's still open. I think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything, when we go to this city kind of appears normal unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities but for most people i would say charlie it feels normal but it ain't normal <laughs> the world yeah. is not normal it's completely gone off kilter charlie robinson on today's news talk radio tnt affordable housing we can build that sustainable housing we can build that at MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. The conversation continues. I don't believe it, and I think that's a terrible position that I am in, that I don't trust my government. This is today's News Talk Radio. TNT. All right, welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're still in the second hour of this live broadcast. And uh, thank you again, Mr. Basil Valentine, for those breaking updates from the Middle East. Very important developments there we want to keep you abreast of here at the show we try our best to bring in the breaking news as it's coming off the wire and luckily we have a great team uh, to deliver that for you as well appreciate everybody in the tnt chat room we see our, our listeners our viewers as well if you're watching 
uh, in video as well. We really appreciate all of our audience here, our growing audience at the Patrick Henningsen Show here on TNT Today's News Talk. Now, we're, we're going to shift gears a little bit. I want to bring on our research, one of our research assistants for the show, Christian James. Christian, uh, a few stories I know that you've been uh, looking at here uh, in the United Kingdom as well. We'll also want to talk about internationally. There's a lot going on. On the health front, uh, we also have the pharmaceutical industrial complex, uh, which is revving up for uh, what they hope, Christian, is a profitable 2024. But I don't know if that's going to be good for everybody else. But uh, go ahead. It's certainly going to be trying to be good for their bank accounts, isn't it? They've uh, have been trying for quite some period of time to once COVID has has slipped away from the news. Of course, those profits have gone down, and what they're after now is, of course, is to drive that profit, that industry, back up to make uh, the money and their sh shareholders and stockholders to be you know, healthy and maintaining maintaining a new future. But uh, in the UK right now, we're having a, a new crisis, uh, so in regards to our healthcare situation, uh, I. I have three friends who work at the Quinton Medical Center, which is Nottingham and East. In fact, the East Midlands is largest uh, university hospital. And uh, they are currently, how it was put to me is they have currently less staff than they had on Christmas Day uh, operating at the present time. There is, um, to my understanding, the news, of course, is presenting one story. The people are saying something different. Um, so I kind of wanted to combine those two together and give you a full view of what the situation is in regards to the NHS matter at the present time. So what we have in is the junior doctors, those who are on the apprenticeship scheme, those who are developing an education, those who are of the uh, the lower tier, should we say, um, but those who are doing and performing not just operations, but day-to-day uh, maintaining of the nursing and levels of staffing uh, across the entire hospital. But um, what's happening right now is that they're facing uh, the cost of living crisis is as a matter of this. Um, it's only a small part of it, but it is the main part that the news is focusing on. And what this is really is that they want a 35% increase in their wages to keep up with what is um, the cost of living crisis. And uh, in line with inflation, they believe that 35% is what they are seeking to get. Um, that is an extraordinary volume of money. I believe most of them are generally speaking on about twenty to twenty-five thousand, um, which you know is pretty much in line with every kind of low uh, tier kind of apprenticeship role. They clearly want that level to be much much higher. So we have seen uh, Nottinghamshire hospitals; they have declared a national incident level as a, a critical national incident level due to their. Um, sustained uh, pressure that they're facing right now. They're reduced staff. They're saying that there's less people than they have on Christmas Day. Um, so it's odd because the internet is generally speaking, if you look at X and you look at the kind of things that people are saying in their rapid conversations and uh, the talking heads on the news, they're mainly talking about and focusing on Tory cutbacks, uh, underfunding is the frequent strap line, but it's just a lot more complicated than that. I mean, sure, there is the 35% pay increase. Uh, there's a situation where then it's going to be six days of, of national strikes. Um, but what the one thing to take into consideration here is that last year, 2023, there was 53,000 excess deaths. You know, but we, as certainly members of TNT and, and the larger audience, we're very much aware of what excess deaths is as a code word, shall we say, particularly post-COVID. Um, so they... Last year, they had a 9% increase in pay. They were going to get a 4% increase in this April, there were, um, as in 2024's April. Um, I think from a perspective point of view, when you saw the uh, the parliament a few weeks ago, 
they voted to have um, a pay increase of 25%. Um, and I think that shows to the people that there is a disconnect. And we only got 4%, you got 25%. They feel that they are getting undervalued and undercut and where the government is clearly handing themselves much larger pockets of money. So there is this kind of a us and them battle that happens across all industries, particularly when you see the government taking it all for themselves and the people appear to be struggling day to day. And that drives such an emotional uh, nail at people. And uh, that hurts and that drives the emotive action for why these things are occurring. So what we've had is uh, obviously nurses, uh, the, the junior staff across all the NHS, they want more money. I can say that when I was in hospital, I think I've said this to you before, I had a conversation with a couple of the doctors who were on of the ward they're all nice all professional and one of the things they were saying is that the their largest cost they have is due to solutions companies so it's not necessarily the nhs um as an operational business direct cost is not the issue it's the fact that everything is now subsidized out and sold to third-party companies and corporations so even the paper towels on the wall have to come from a certain company the holder has to come from a certain company they can't get a maintenance team to come and fix the door they have to get a solutions company who they've got a contract with over the course of five years to come and fix it so what's happening is that perhaps they should have had on-site fixing those issues and, and uh, logistics um, solutions no that's all sold out to third-party private solutions so that is where a lot of the costs are coming from from the operating position of the hospitals and that was told to me by a couple of different doctors who i had on different conversations so i saw the government in the UK right now is currently on recess. They are on, they're on holiday for this, from the winter period. They don't come back until January the 6th. So what's happening here is there's no official communication line coming out of the government. There's no official communication line other than what um, certain ministers are talking, quite frankly, sort of off the books, but sort of on the books on, on X and on social media. But in terms of an official response, there isn't any at the present time. Um, I think as we go into January the 6th, when they come back into business, we're going to see a response there. Um, and I think they're going to be talking about the fact that this year, as in 2024, the NHS has the biggest bill ever. Uh, I think it's actually going from 162 billion to 166 billion in terms of how much infrastructure and money the government is going to provide to the NHS. So they are getting more money than ever. But however, everything costs much more every year. Of course, there's the increase. And what we can say about that is we are seeing there's there's obviously the wage situation. There's the cost of living crisis that's happening. There's providing the solutions to make the whole system work. But what it's actually having an effect on the people is um, certainly over the course of these next six days, there's going to be so many uh, operations, um, meetings, uh, consultancies are going to get cancelled. It's going to put more pressure on the people who need healthcare treatments, uh, simply not going to get them. It's a really complicated situation um, other than just saying it's down to um, a lack of funding or a lack of uh, management from the Tories downwards. I think there's, there's a massive plethora of issues uh, throughout the NHS that need to get solved in a, sooner rather than later. Yeah, they, this this is all basically uh, follow-on problems from the privatization of the NHS, where they've been privatizing pieces of it quietly over the years. Uh, this began during the Tony Blair uh, uh, regime, if you will. And they've been breaking up quietly breaking up. And as you said, uh, having consultancies, uh, doing this kind of, uh, devolution, uh, revolution within the, uh, NHS. And they, the, the, when they got rid of the matrons on the wards, I mean, that was the first step, um, yeah. in the nineties. And then all the you know cleaning companies coming in. All of a sudden, you have somebody in an office building far away and a cleaning contractor, and not much in the middle. 
and then people are complaining because the wards are dirtier than ever. Well, go figure. Yes. How does that happen? So this is just, I see this trend. They're, they've now created a problem, Christian, that they cannot easily back out of. And you're starting to see high levels of dysfunctionality uh, within the institution right across the board. Plus, they've got these waiting lists they haven't actually uh, resolved yet from the whole COVID farrago. Uh, this millions and millions on waiting lists, and they, they're still on a backlog after all these years. So, And that's not going to be uh, re resolved anytime soon. And their end result, Christian, is subpar healthcare. Because everybody becomes a number, they have less time to uh, allocate to you. You've got people over the phone giving treatment, GP appointments over the phone, over the telephone with an intern. Yes. Or, or somebody getting work experience from the medical school. I mean, what happened to the NHS, Christian? It was the pride and joy of Britain, uh, the number one employer in the country. And now it's it, a lot of people will say it's an absolute shambles. No, it is. There was um, there was a press statement. Uh, actually, it was, went straight to the internet, went straight to, to X, and it was from uh, Dr. Dave Briggs, who's the medical director of NHS Nottingham. And he literally said what you just said there. He says, there are things that everyone can do to help, but what we want you to do is think about self-care. Don't come to hospital unless it's absolutely emergency. Um, basically, take care of yourself. And if that isn't a, a sound state of affairs, I don't know what is. I mean, you were talking there about what happened in the 1990s. Yeah, so I went looking into what that was and how that came to be. It was actually under John Major, who was the prime minister in 1992. Uh, and they followed that up, particularly with the Blair. They, they real scaled this out. And it was a part of a plan called PFI, uh, which basically was to bring a private finance initiative into the government, into, into the NHS uh, services, and like providing long-term contracts between private parties and organizations and um, and the sector that runs the NHS, everything from providing, like you said there, from the food to um, logistics, all going out. And that was the first step to that dismantling. And now, effectively, those solution companies are charging them uh, an arm and a leg because they have to. And because of that, they've now reached a certain point where the, the budget for the costs of running the NHS uh, far balloons perhaps what it can output. And you would, that whole deficit, like you said, they're coming back from uh, the COVID, everything that was kicked back over that time, operations, cancer treatments, um, you know, one-to-one -one meetings, you know, trying to find out sort of mental health issues, getting trying to get solved. Um, all of them are just backing up and it's now just condensing to a point uh, where they might go, well, we have to all go private. Um, and I wonder, if, is that not perhaps the goal of this, is to end the NHS and to make that happen to mirror a US-style system? Yeah, it, it is, and it's a slow process. Uh, it's pushing people out of the NHS. Uh, you know, if you don't have any choice and you need the care and you can afford to pay, uh, let's say, private health insurance in the UK, not as expensive as in the US, mind you, not yet. It could be proportionally to the average income in the country, but, you know, like starting at 150, 200 a month, pounds, British pounds. Okay, a lot of people say, I'd rather have that and then get immediate access to all these top specialists when I need them than to wait on the NHS for six months or a year and maybe, you know, possibly get subpar treatment or whatever. In the end, you're going to end up in an NHS facility anyway uh, if you're on a private health care program in the in the uk all it does is put you to the front of the queue that's basically what how a lot of the system works you'll end up in an nhs bed but there are two things as a your local uh, health authority there in the midlands christian you almost want to heed his advice i mean that's not bad advice just generally i mean we should all be 
you know, custodians of our own health. And our goal is to stay out of the healthcare system. So what do we have to do in our life? So ironically, he's actually giving sound advice there, although it's not good for the NHS in general. The other thing, Christian, I think you'll agree with this. If you're sick in the time when you need to eat healthy food should be when you're in a healthcare facility, the food is diabolical, absolutely diabolical in these uh, healthcare uh, institutions. I mean, it is really like the bottom of the barrel cafeteria level stuff, like literally a step above fish fingers in school. And it's not exactly healthy. They should be serving organic. They should have supplements uh, there available. If you want to top up your uh, B12 or your zinc or whatever, vitamin E, all these things that we know we need that we're not getting, organics and so forth, it should all be there uh, on offer if you're in the hospital. But unfortunately, it's the opposite. And I think it has to do with what you just talked about, Christian. That sort of ball started rolling badly during John Major's prime ministership. Here we are 30 years later. Go ahead. Yeah, quite literally 30 years later, um, from 1992, um, rolling in until, until 2023, 2024 now. Um, and we're seeing that that pull apart, that's uh, ripping the parts, the fabric of what makes the NHS seem to work. And it is, you know, it is the kind of um, the jewel in the eye of the world um, that there is a healthcare system that does work, that is available for anyone who wants to come and use it. And they're not going to turn you away wherever you come from. Um, you know, and it's it's done really, really well for itself. I mean, it's it's a really uh, worldwide institution that does deserve to be the very best. However, of course, it's it's under pressures that are, I guess, perhaps even unknown to many people. There's clearly a large amount of people using it more than ever before, and people are going repeatedly. Um, they are using the services, perhaps over in the systems, one could say. Um, and now we have, we have a population situation. You know, there's all these kind of other factors that we now have brought people into our country. Perhaps for some people, they might say, well, they're now using their services more than we should. Than they should do. I mean, there are all these factors that are driving the, the conversations around it. Uh, whether they actually are true or not, it's a different matter. We believe the NHS can cope. It just doesn't clearly have the money and facilities right now. Uh, and it clearly it's running on overburn at the present time. No, it is. And so behind the scenes, Christian, I think uh, there's another entity, if you will, um, and that is the global pharmaceutical uh, industrial complex, the virology, the vaccine industry, all of these these firms are lurking in the background. They had the best, most profitable years in the history of that industry during COVID. You can imagine why vaccine mandates doesn't take a rocket science to, science to work it out. So they're, they're hovering around having global confabs right now. That's a big part of the NHS story, of course, but it's not just confined to Britain. This is a global issue. These companies have so much power. They've got their own little sort of WEF stroke uh, Bilderberg meetings for themselves, these global health summits. Christian, you've been keeping an eye on some of these, haven't you? I have indeed. So for those who know and don't know, perhaps, or you have an interest in technology in the future, um, this week is uh, CES 2024 happening over in Las Vegas. It happens every single year. It is certainly, it is the it is the E3 of technology. It is the uh, the big um, public unveiling keynote states months and about what they're going to be doing over the next at least year to five years in terms of the tech push. So what you have there, you have the likes of Nokia, Samsung, um, LG, 
uh, all the major corporations, IBM and so on, all showing their face about what they believe their presentation should be going forward. Um, so last year, there was a big focus on integration, communication. Uh, there was a lot of um, buzz around smart integration between devices, uh, all talking to each other, cross-platform uh, communication between devices. I really like the likes of Samsung wanted to be the hub, as did Amazon. They wanted you to be the whole smart home, your whole smart business. They wanted to be your interconnected um, hub, really. And that communication, that big data is really what they were after. And that is this year's big focus. So the strap line for this, the year's event, and I'll read it from their website. Just go to um, CES. I think it's .net this year. Um, so I'll, I'll read this verbatim. It says, taking problem solutions to an epic new level. AI is revolutionizing all user experiences, whether in with a Increasing accessibility to boosting efficiency, AI and the state-of-the-art hardware and software solutions now will play the most active role in all industrial development worldwide. Everyone is now pursuing the AI space. And there's um, digital Hollywood, digital Hollywood and innovation, from AI to XR to streaming to advertising. And this is what uh, took me, next generation advertising. And I looked at that and I looked at what the breakdown was of what they're going to be talking about here tracking the individual biometrics and synaptic responses to get bang for buck in terms of the advertising space. Now, doesn't that not seem as um, omnipotent as anything? So they want to measure your biometrics and your synaptic responses in real time, measured by AI, to make sure the advertising is delivering exactly the message it should do at any time. Imagine looking at a screen and as your eyes wander around your room, the advertisement perhaps will go with you on your different screens in your house. Measuring your eyes as they did in uh, Minority Report is, the, is the, uh, the image that we once saw in that, in that film. But running alongside this event, so there has CES 2024, there's the Digital Health Summit that is running simultaneously at the same time represented by the same people in the same place. The Digital Health Summit running at CES is sponsored this year by Moderna and the American Psychological Association and Zenco. So, and again, I'll read the little transcript from that our website here. Stay on top of the lotus trends, transforming health and wellness from digital therapeutics to technologies to safeguard the planet from throughout these sessions. We're going to be this week talking about revolutionizing health through smart innovation, uh, navigating the data revolution in healthcare, and doing the digital health tour, which is to spotlight uh, solutions for remote patient, patient visits, biosensors, imagine a world with no waiting room visits, and AI instant assessments. People will no longer have to wait for an appointment. And when you tie that into exactly what's going on with the NHS, with the healthcare system, they appear to be working in tandem towards potentially a, uh, a synergy for what that position might be in the future. You take away the uh, you take away the doctors and the human side, and it can be all be replaced by an instant assessment by an AI. Uh, so if you're wearing your uh, Apple Watch and uh, they're getting the wrong algorithm readings and uh, you decide, hey, I'm going to pop into the pub uh, for a pint uh, and a scotch egg and, uh, you know, read read the sun or whatever for lunch uh, and you're going to be and you get a, a, a warning alert and, oh, my goodness, your central bank digital currency wallet is uh, frozen. You can't walk in there. You can't get that because you've already gone over your calorie limit. Your heart rate's too high. You've uh, expended uh, X amount of uh, mitochondria, uh, literally down to the granular level. Sorry, you're going to have to go for a run. That is, is that the future that uh, they're hoping to engineer, Christian? That appears to be the, uh, the future tech they are looking to aspire to create, yes. 
um, where it, everything is monitored in real time at all times for everybody. And that is a very dangerous place to get to because that would mean that it's 100% biometric surveillance, you know, lifestyle surveillance. Um, so we can charge you those uh, perhaps carbon credits, you know, perhaps you're, you're not thinking about the climate as you have that beer because that beer's had to go through the process of being created, transported. There now might be an extra cost because you've bought this. And we, we laugh about it and we smile about it. But these people are really serious about it. And they do not want to let up because it is a gravy train of money and control that is unlike anything that's ever been created before. So no, no GP visits. You don't have to go to the doctor. It'll all be done remotely. So that, what does that mean, folks? It means less doctors. It's going to be less qualified doctors running around. And what does that mean? You're going to be managed. Your GP is going to end up being uh, an AI. That's, that's what it means. And th so that means the cost should, in theory, let me just think about it, should, in theory, be going down if it's all automated. But hello, you'll end up paying more for it. I'm willing to bet the farm on it, Christian. They raise the price of services, provide less service. That's, gen that's the general model. Okay. Or you rent the service, you subscribe to the service as Klaus Schwab loves subscription, the subscription model in the global rentier economy. Uh, your final thoughts. We're going to go to break real quick, Christian, but go ahead. Yeah. So the building block of one of the interesting characters there is exactly who you said. So the World Health Organization Global Digital Health Certification Network is uh, you can sign up for it there and then while you're at the digital health tour at CES this year. So you can get on board with live monitoring. Yeah, that's it. Let's get on board, folks. It's the future. It's going to be great. It's good. Trust us. Trust us. It's going to be great. Uh, Christian James, our research assistant, appreciate you bringing these stories to our attention today, this week on TNT, Today's News Talk. Thank you very much. That's a problem. Thank you very much, Patrick. Look forward to speaking to you again soon. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, as Christian James, two important stories, healthcare related. We'll cover more of these types of stories definitely going into the rest of the winter because trust me, it's going to be hitting the headlines. Don't you worry about that. Taking a break real quick here with the network TNT. Today's news talk. When we come back, we'll wrap up with breaking news and final thoughts on what we've covered today. I'm Patrick Henningson, your host. Stay right there. Right now, the forgotten poor are waiting for healing and care for life-saving medical care, for a chance to live with dignity and hope. They are waiting for Mercy Ships and you. Mercy Ships is the largest floating civilian hospital in the world with volunteer medical staff and crew who donate their time to save lives. And now, as our newest state-of-the-art hospital ship sets sail, Mercy Ships will double our ability to reach children and adults who need us now. Without the work of Mercy Ships, these patients don't have another option. Mercy Ships is answering the call to serve suffering people who have nowhere else to turn. Together, we are going to some of the world's most desperate places and bringing a wave of hope and healing to those who need it most. To learn more about this wave of hope, go to mercyships.org today. My character Shazam knows all about growing up in a family full of teenage superheroes. They're bold. Where's everyone going? To fight crime. Okay. Adventurous. Shazam! There's never a dull moment. And no matter what happens, they'll always have your back. All they need is a place to grow and be themselves. And the best part is, you don't have to be a superhero to adopt a team. Learn more about adopting a teen from foster care. Visit adoptuskids.org. You can't imagine the reward.
Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back. Great segment by Christian James. Uh, two important stories, of course, as you know, uh, we'll be covering uh, more of the pharmaceutical and the healthcare stories coming into the winter here. They're starting to pile up in the new year. Yep, that's right. They're uh, they're at it again, ladies and gentlemen. They're not uh, happy with the profits banked of the last three years. They want more, uh, and so we got to be there to basically expose uh, what those industries are doing and in their collusion with governments want to fleece the public as usual get less pay more that's the model that's the general model that we want to avoid that's what's being pushed on us on so many different fronts now a couple of uh, breaking headlines here uh interesting developments of course on the ukraine front uh we're starting to see some interesting movement there there's been some mainstream coverage on the fact that uh the ukrainian regime in kiev it's a the zelensky regime i think we can call him a regime at this point uh, because he's sending out what's called press gangs and starting to get picked up now in media coverage. I mean, our media in the West are so slow to this stuff. We've been reporting on it for like the last year and a half, but literally press gangs is when uh, the government or the military basically sends out a gang of thugs to go pick up any able-bodied male. They literally kidnap them. They abduct them off the street. They could be coming from the grocery store. They could be going to and for work. They could be actually at work. And they'll go in and they'll, at public swimming pools in the summer, they will literally press gang them, which means uh, hogtied, bundled away, thrown into a van, and then driven to some dodgy military uh, induction center uh, where they're thrown an old uniform, could be someone else's uniform, with a few holes sewn up, if you know what I mean, uh, and then off to the front lines in the Donbass uh, for the glory of Ukraine and Zelensky, uh, where the average life expectancy, once they end up in the trench, is something around uh, 72 hours. Not good, is it? But that's what's happening right across Ukraine uh, in the areas still under Ukrainian control. It's not great. Uh, they're avoiding any sort of ceasefire, any sort of peace negotiations. Uh, but the United States is trying to kind of quietly back out, give signals to Russia uh, that they're going to be pursuing some sort of solution to this stalemate, which is becoming a, a real stalemate right now. Uh, but they'll sort of keep that under wraps during the 2024 election. I mean, they don't want to make, unless Biden wants to push the boat out, the Democrats want to say they they have some kind of binding solution to this stalemate I, I don't see it myself i just see this kind of slow burn in the background not too much attention on it a few provocations here and there but want to avoid anything big i don't know we could be wrong because the calculus could change going into the summer but it's good to see more people talking about the uh, problems that ukraine is having recruiting men and so they're having to to basically fish into a shallower pond in terms of age group. We're talking about late teens and people like this. I don't know if they'll probably get rid of student deferments. I don't know if they have student deferments. I think they might uh, right now in Ukraine, but there's not much left in terms of higher education uh, in that country. I mean, most of those young people, they're already gone. They're in Germany, they're in the Netherlands, they're in France, they're in the UK, they're in Ireland, they're in Canada, they're in the United States. They basically left and they're not coming back and why would they what is there to come back to anyway the press gangs are basically also going for older men 
so it's not uncommon now to see when you're looking at some of the military units in the Ukrainian armed forces. We just saw uh, a report which we shared on our Twitter, our Eric's Twitter feed, of a cafeteria scene, uh, a video, amazing shot, and you're looking as this person's walking down the aisle in a Ukrainian military cafeteria, a mess hall, and you're looking there. It's all salt and pepper. It's also, and I'm not talking about the crew, it's on the table. I'm talking about the hair on the heads of these soldiers. It looks like the average age is something like north of 50. Okay, there were people that clearly north of 60 years old. I mean, what good is a 60-year-old man uh, out in infantry uh, fighting Russia who's got a uh, very fit, young, well-trained professional army, well-equipped? I mean, what good is it? They're pushing them out there. And what you're seeing now, and this is the disturbing part of what's happening in Ukraine. I mean, as you see the downfall of this whole project, you're going to start to see the ugly truth. And the ugly truth is there's a caste system within the Ukrainian military. Okay. And if you're well-connected or you're from the West or whatever, they're literally going up and raiding these ethnic regions like Transcarpathia with ethnic Hungarians or further to the Southeast, ethnic Romanians or ethnic Slovakians, okay, ethnic Russians. And those are the people they're press ganging, putting into, forcing them into military service and chucking them out on the front line to fight the Russians where they might last a day or two if they're lucky. Okay, because they have a caste system within the Ukrainian higher structure. In other words, they don't want to send any of their own sort of, you know, uh, precious uh, Western Ukrainian stock. No, let's just send everybody else. We'll literally abduct them off the street and throw them out there with little to no training. There's a rifle. Here's a few magazines with some bullets in them. We'll bring some ammo back maybe in a week or two. There's our number. Call us if you need anything. Like, that's what's going on. If you look at some of the videos that are being put out by some of the mutinies that have been, and there have been mutinies going on uh, in the Ukrainian armed forces uh, for the last two years, truth be known. We've been tracking this, uh, people that we've had on the show as well, uh, Walking Flores, for instance, from New Resistance. He's been posting, collating videos of all sorts of these types of things, this type of activity. In other words, soldiers who are either surrendering or they're just not keen to participate uh, in a losing war anymore. In other words, they, they've lost the zeal of Slava Ukraini. Okay, It's been going on consistently, but it's really happening on a massive level now to the point where they're getting desperate in when they're deploying their press ganging. Uh, and their sort of abduction of uh, able-bodied males in Ukraine. So this is really the final days of the Zelensky regime and probably of what is effectively any kind of war effort against Russia. I just don't see it happening. They'll need some major provocation, maybe a false flag somehow to somehow give a segue for uh, NATO or some kind of combined NATO force, probably Baltic countries combined with a few Poles, possibly another country, maybe a couple of Americans, quote, advisors, to basically prevent Russia from coming into Kiev again. I mean, that's really what they're they're faced with now. So uh, it's a really ugly situation. Anyway, Ukraine, they've got a number of uh, draft dodgers. They're also prosecuting at record numbers. I mean, that's how bad things are there. We'll hopefully give you more details on that. We're going to well, actually I'll speak to our guest tomorrow. We've got a special guest. I think hopefully we'll get uh, a top geopolitical analyst from Europe on the program tomorrow. We'll uh, 
announce him uh, later on uh, this evening or the, tomorrow morning early. And uh, we'll be covering some of the bigger stories legally as well uh, with Matthew Lee tomorrow and much, much more. All the breaking news, all the updates, all the analysis. It's right here on the Patrick Henningsen Show. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Christian James. Thank you, Basil Valentine. And of course, a big thank you to David Miller for an absolutely barnstorming segment in the first hour. We've done it all today. We'll do it again tomorrow. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. We'll see you then. In the meantime, top of the hour news headlines coming up. Stay on TNT. There's a lot more coming today. 247-365 Talk Radio only here on TNT.